0: Hello, everybody. Pete Sardis here for The Lawyer You Know. Welcome back. We are talking about Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos trial, week number four. Not so interesting in court this week, but really interesting outside of court. We'll go through all the things that transpired this last week. In addition, uh, I'm going to answer some additional questions that we had from the last video and also give you a couple predictions. We'll see if they come true or not. As always, if you like the video, please hit like. If you're enjoying the series, please click subscribe, and let me thank everybody in advance for all the wonderful questions you're asking. Keep asking the questions, please, because this is how I formulate what I think you guys are interested in, as opposed to just sitting here talking about things aimlessly. So, with that, let's talk about week four in trial. First witness uh, was Wednesday, and his name was Justin Offen. This gentleman is a global forensic technology consultant from a law firm called PWC. And what he did was he had the auspicious honor of going through the thousands of text messages between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani and testifying to those in court. So the general gist is this. Early on in the Theranos timeline, it appears that there's a lot of correspondence between, look, we got problems with the machine, we have issues with um, the Normandy Lab, which is the place where all the testing was done uh, back in uh, the early 2014s, and Sunny Balwani comes on board in the text, which is like, yeah, I'm glad I'm here, we can fix it, we're gonna make this stuff right, it's gonna be great. Then the flavor of the text message starts to change as we progress in the timeline, Sonny Balwani's text seem to change and they become more conservative like, hey, Elizabeth, maybe we should slow down a little bit, uh, be more cautious about what we're doing as we're getting closer and closer to the launch. Ultimately, it goes into his text being more specific about pulling back, making sure that he's not, that the company's got to getting overexposure or they're not moving too quickly. I think personally that these texts were specifically chosen not for how valuable they are to the case, but specifically to be able to contradict a possible defense that Elizabeth Holmes we know is gonna put out there, which is Sonny Balwani was in charge, I was a battered spouse or a battered girlfriend, and I I did whatever I was told to do. That's really what I feel is more valuable in these texts because let's be real, Honestly, when you're talking about a a venture like this, and it's even in the early stages, to talk about problems in your company is really not strange. That's what happens in venture capital firms. That's what happens pre-IPO when you're trying to get a company to actually function so you can take it public. You fix the problems, and that's what a lot of these text messages, at least to me, seem to demonstrate. the key though is the government made it uh, made it a point to make sure that the text that they were showing demonstrated that as time went on Elizabeth Holmes took more and more of the reins of the command decisions even though Sonny Balwani was being more cautious, she didn't listen. So that was his testimony not the most uh, you know interesting testimony but I'll tell you what is interesting. Right about the time that this gentleman finishes his testimony, 600 tech miraculously leak out to the public into the press. Those tech are very interesting. In my opinion, again, I'm not making a, uh, a presumption about who leaked what, but it seems like the text messages that got leaked to the press are items that either are not gonna make it into evidence because their probative nature is far overshadowed by the prejudice that they may cause. They're more emotional than they are, um, you know, probative of fact. So I think a lot of these things just seem like they're not gonna come into evidence, but they were leaked. And a lot of things that are interesting to me were as follows Rupert Murdoch met with Elizabeth Holmes. You know this, he's a big investor, a very prominent media personality. And what happens is, Elizabeth Holmes sends a text to Sonny Balwani, that text indicating Rupert's in for a hundred, which I believe means that he's in for a hundred million dollars of investment, demonstrating that obviously Elizabeth Holmes was focusing on high value investors. Some additional emails that I thought were interesting. I should say emails, text messages that I thought were interesting. Holmes describes herself in a text message to, uh, to Balwani as I have Total confidence in myself. I am the best business person of the year. Again, a lot of hubris there. I don't know how, you know, how effective that would be in front of a jury because I think a judge very well may keep that off because there's really no probative value but to attack her character. But again, this is the stuff that got leaked this week. In addition, There's a lot of text messages that got leaked about a lady by the name of Mary Meeker. Now, for those of you that don't know, Mary Meeker is very important to Silicon Valley because she is a venture capitalist and she works for a firm called Bond Capital. Bond Capital is a big deal. This is where you go to get big seed money to start a, to venture to go public. So there is a lot of text messages and it's a group text back and forth between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny's on it and Elizabeth Holmes' brother's on it. And they're talking about taking the people from Bond Capital to Las Vegas to basically try to wine and dine them to get a good, I don't know, deal, if that's the right word for some venture funds from this firm. And the discussions include like, hey, Elizabeth from her brother, there are some rooms at this hotel, they're $3,500 a night, there's a big suite over here for $15,000 a night, you think you can pull it off? Some additional text messages back and forth talking about where we're gonna take these folks out to dinner in Las Vegas. Elizabeth Holmes, French, it's a three Michelin star rated restaurant in Las Vegas. Top of the line, super expensive, super fancy. Let's see if we can set up French. These are the discussions that kinda are, uh, are are the character of what I saw inside of the 600 or so pages of text messages that were leaked. Again, these are not the ones that went in front of the jury. Totally stuff uh, that went out into the public today. I'm sure there'll be media outlets reporting on this uh, probably by the time you're seeing this video. Another of the witnesses that took the stand, in my opinion, What was more interesting was how it happened than who he was, is James Mathis. For those of you that don't, he's a four-star general. General Mathis also happened to be the Secretary of Defense for a while, and he was a board of director for Theranos. He was an investor. He's got about $85,000 of his own money into this thing. Now I realize they may not sound like a lot of money compared to Rupert Murdoch, who's in for 100 million. But let's remember this man's a government, uh, you know, a lifetime government employee. He is a military guy. $85,000 is a pretty good chunk of change, you know, for a military person to put together to invest. He his testimony was that he actually was a guinea pig for the Edison machine. He actually got his blood taken, and he was you. They used his blood to basically uh, analyze a sample. What was most interesting, though, about his testimony is from a perspective what he said, was at some point he was gonna have a interview with New York, the New Yorker magazine, kind of a big deal, right? And they were gonna do an expose or a talk about Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos generally, so they were gonna interview him. And the email he sent to Elizabeth Holmes, and this is an email that actually went in front of the jury, was, hey, are there any topics I should avoid while I'm talking to the press about, um, you know, about the company? An email back from Elizabeth Holmes said, avoid these three topics, the most important topic was um, don't talk about the fact that our technology is a single piece of technology that tests across the board mathis testified that he thought that was odd because he's like well isn't that the whole point of theranos that the edison machine is one machine one blood sample tests everything from diabetes all the way to hiv But his response was, I didn't, you know, I didn't question about it because I'm no scientist. You know, I'm not a technology guy. So I don't really understand it to be able to speak about it. So I wasn't going to talk about it anyway. Again, a very military answer. He's a very straight to the point kind of guy and will not talk about stuff he's not confident talking about. The key though about this, I think, is that his testimony the stand was he felt it was odd because wouldn't, why would you not want me to talk about the fact that the Edison machine with a drop of blood, can test your blood for everything from, you know, HIV all the way down to, you know, uh, you know, diabetes. Wouldn't that be the topic you'd want to discuss? But regardless, that was something he said he found odd. It didn't bother him because, again, he's not a tech guy, so he left it alone. What was more interesting to me about his testimony is kind of how it happened in a real life trial, not the stuff that you see on TV things don't always work the way you plan them. It's not as choreographed as we would like it to be as lawyers. And what wound up happening was in the middle of Justin Offen's testimony, they stopped that testimony, brought General Matheson, had him testify. He left and they put Justin Offen back on to talk about the rest of those emails that he wanted to talk about. Now, It sounds odd from a layperson's perspective, like why would you just pull somebody off the stand and put somebody else on? But this is frankly more common than you think because when you're in trial, you know, you try to coordinate your witnesses to show up on certain days to be able to put up on the stand and sometimes when you've got a witness that's got limited availability, for example, General Mathis, former Secretary of Defense, you have the ability to say, judge, we're gonna stop this witness, get him off the stand, put up our our next witness let him testify. And then when he's done, we're going to put the other witness back on the stand to finish her testimony. Again, something that I hate to do, but it happens all the time in order to accommodate people's schedules. So I, I think that a lot of folks don't realize this is common. It isn't just because General Mathis is who he is. It's because, you know, he probably coordinated a specific amount of time in his schedule to come testify. And the case either is a little bit behind uh, what they thought. So they had to make an accommodation for him. Next witness was Friday, a guy by the name of Adam Rosendorf. Adam Rosendorf was the director for the lab at Theranos from early 2013 till about November of 2014. He testified that one of the reasons that he quit was he just didn't have confidence in the tests that he was being asked to perform. In fact, he said uh, one of the things that bothered him most was he, he thought when he interviewed that this company was all about, you know, Cutting edge technology for patient care. And then when he kind of got into it, he realized what it really was is more important on PR and publicity and fundraising than it was about the actual functionality of the machine and and making people's lives better. He testified that he didn't think that he could function effectively in a lab director under that, uh, you know, under that capacity, under that, you know, under the way that they were doing business. Interesting about his testimony is this. He said that during his tenure there, he felt that Elizabeth Holmes was more focused on keeping the investors happy than she was about the quality of the testing coming out of the labs. Specifically, he said when they they were gonna launch, and if you guys remember there was a big launch with Walgreens back in 2014. At that point, his testimony is that Elizabeth told him, you know what, Um, we're just gonna go ahead and not use the single point of testing, which was the Edison machine, but we're gonna use more traditional testing to get this lab analysis done, which obviously contradicts the concept that she didn't know that the Edison machine was not working the way it was supposed to work. In addition, something that he said, which was, I'm not sure if it came out the way the government intended, but he indicated that there was a time that he had a meeting with her and she was visibly shaken, she was nervous, her knees were shaking. Her voice was shaking, and she was trembling over making sure that the launch happened. He talked about maybe we should delay. She's like, absolutely not. That's just not going to happen. So we'll see how that testimony. I think very telling testimony, but it could cut both ways. On one side, obviously she knows there's a problem, and they're about to go very public with uh, this, you know, this launch of Theranos, you know, in, in a bunch of uh, Walgreens stores at the same time you're visibly nervous and shaken, you're running this company, You know what makes you act like that? We'll see how the jury perceives that as the case goes on. Okay, no court on Monday, Tuesday, today, which is when we're filming this, is the first witness that's gonna come on. So by the time I film this, I actually will not see what's happening in California. It will not have made it to me by then. So I will keep you posted on what happens next week. But let's make a couple predictions. There's a couple of interesting witnesses whose names have come up uh, one of which is a guy by the name of Roger Parloff, and he is an, a, a journalist that kind of broke the Theranos issue Back in 2014, he wrote a Fortune magazine article about Elizabeth Holmes, basically touting that she's gonna be the next best thing. Subsequent to John Carew's book coming out uh, about the fact that Theranos is potentially a fraud, he actually wrote another article basically saying how he'd been duped by Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos to write the articles he did. Uh, His name is on the witness list. He had turned over a series of recordings from the interviews he had with Elizabeth uh, Holmes that were sent to the grand jury. Again, to go back, a grand jury subpoena was issued by the government. To him, he produced a certain series of recordings and documents to them so they could present it to the grand jury in order for the government to get an indictment, which is what started this entire case. There is some additional subpoenas that were issued by the defense in this case, to him. He's objected to those. So we're expecting sometime in the next week or so that the court is going to have to make a decision about whether or not the defense gets to have more of the information that was sent to the grand jury or more of the recordings that may not have been sent to the grand jury to include potentially some of his notes, which normally are privilege because they're his work product. And again, there's a journalist, you know, has some privilege about their sources. So we'll see next week if the judge is going to allow the defense to be able to inquire more in depth about the information that he holds beyond just what he provided to the grand jury, so I'll keep you posted on that. Second very interesting witness that may come together is a guy by the name of John Carreel. We've talked about him. He is actually the one that wrote the book, literally, about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. It is his book that is the catalyst for this entire thing, I think, blowing up and going as public as it has. He is on the defendant's witness list. Let's say that again. He is on Elizabeth Holmes' witness list, along with three other very odd people for a defendant to put on their witness list, three prosecutors from the FDA and Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. We will see how this goes, but I'll bet you that if John Kerry was put on there, his testimony is going to be designed to make the jury feel as if this prosecution against Elizabeth Holmes is a witch hunt. And what I'm guessing is going to happen is they're going to put on All of these journalists and people that did these exposes and they focused, you know, on on these you know terrible details about things that were happening without really any proof. But I'm I'm wondering to see how that's gonna work itself out. Let me be clear about something. John Carew has not been subpoenaed, as far as I know yet, but his name appears on the witnesses. We'll see what happens with that. So Like I said, not a very eventful trial week, but a pretty interesting outside of trial week. Let's take a minute, let's answer some questions that I thought were interesting uh, from the last video. Number one, question. Can the prosecutors show Holmes videos in trial, or is that hearsay? Great question. Yes, the prosecutors can use the videotapes taken of Elizabeth Holmes uh, for, for example, press releases for news articles or news interviews that she did because they are the statements of the defendant. And the evidence rules specifically have a hearsay cutout or carve out for statements of a party opponent. So they, the, the prosecution, if they really want, can put the videos of Elizabeth Holmes in there and just let the jury see what it is that she said as long as the video can be authenticated, meaning that somebody can show up and said this video was taken on this time and this place, it is an accurate and a representation of the videotape and it's not altered in some way, it's, it can come in. So yes, I expect you'll see some of that videotape at some point. Question number two, since the SEC has settled the fraud case with Theranos, can that information be used and entered in the case? Interesting question. Let me just answer it this way for this specific question. No. And I'll tell you why. Because if you go on the SEC's website, you'll be able to see the Theranos settlement because all that stuff is public record and it's available for you uh, on a Freedom of Information Act request or on their website. And what you'll see is the first few lines of the settlement agreement between Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos, and the SEC where they, if you remember, there was a half a million dollar settlement and the settlement also required Elizabeth Holmes to step down from her position as CEO. The initial lines say that this agreement is being entered into by the parties. No one is admitting any liability or fault in this case. And the reason that they do that is because you don't want to enter into a civil agreement with the government just to have that civil agreement be put into evidence against you during the criminal trial. So unfortunately, because there's no... Um, no guilt that's been admitted that's not something you're probably going to see come into evidence in this case in addition, there are different standards in the. US for criminal versus civil penalties. civil is a preponderance of evidence what we call uh, more likely than not criminals beyond a a reasonable doubt which is a far greater uh, burden on the government so, Again, because of the differences between the stand, the burdens of proof, I presume you're not going to say any of that stuff. Come in. Will the prosecutor request the actual Theranos machine be tested in court to actually have the jury see how it works? I doubt it, especially with the testimony that came out. That's in our last video, week three, that it took 14 hours to calibrate the machine, and then you know the 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 results were not very accurate. I think that the testimony from the actual lab technicians and the supervisors talking about how they had no faith in this equipment and they spent hours and hours trying to keep these machines running is enough. I don't think the jury is going to need to actually see the machine work. I promise you they'll probably see an actual Edison machine live just to be able to see it, but I don't think they're actually going to see it do anything. Again, I don't think that's the best use of judicial time. We focus as lawyers on judicial economy it means you don't want to waste these people's time if you don't have to. You got the testimony. You don't really need to show them that it doesn't work. There is another interesting question that I think is a little premature. I'll touch on it, but let's see if if there's a conviction. I'll go into it in more detail. The question is, is she going to go to prison because she had a baby and therefore somehow she is somehow uh, immune from being incarcerated? No. That is wrong, I promise you. There are plenty of moms sitting in federal prison. The fact that she had a baby, could that somehow affect the judge's decision making and how she is sentenced? Absolutely. Do I think it was a ploy? I really hate to go to a place where I believe that a a mother would have a baby simply to affect potential sentencing, but that's a decision you guys are gonna have to make on your own. You tell me what you think in the comments, but at this point, If she is convicted and she happens to be sentenced, is that something that the court can take into consideration in the manner in which she is sentenced? Yes. Does this mean she could escape prison sentence altogether? Highly unlikely. Okay guys, that's what I have for today. Again, tell me what you all think. Do you think that the the defense is going to call any of these journalists to testify? Do you think they'll call the prosecutors from, from the SEC? You tell me what you think. Uh, In addition, do you think the defense is going to get their wish uh, and get additional information that was not turned over uh, in the grand jury subpoena? I don't know. We'll find out. You tell me what you think. Again, if you enjoyed this video, give me a thumbs up. If you like this series, please subscribe to get uh, so you can keep getting information uh, about when we do these videos. Also, please ask me some questions. That way I've got something solid that you guys enjoy to talk about. In the video again thank you all for listening and watching and we'll see you next time thanks for watching this episode of the lawyer you know If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.